0: Man, I am talking about motivation today and climbing mountains. It's climbing mountains was someone who soloed Mount Everest all by himself and did it blind. Blind. That is, when he got to the very top, he went blind. We're going to come back to that in just a few minutes and talk to Brian Dickinson, who's got, done all seven summits around all the major peaks all over the world. But before we do that, I want to talk about my good friends at Elytra Health because we spend our money in so many different ways and invest in so many unimportant things. It's time to start investing in yourself, your most valuable asset. That's right, you. So I encourage my fellow C-Suiteers to check out this service. Visit ElytraHealth.com, E-L-I-T-R-A, Health.com and schedule your appointment today. I did it. You should do it. You should check it out and get yourself checked out Uh, so that you uh, check yourself before you wreck yourself, if you remember that line from the movie. So, hey, listen, my friends, I am talking to a former Navy rescue swimmer, Brian Dickinson. He's roughly 1,000 feet from the summit of Mount Everest, known as the Death Zone, when his Sherpa became ill and he had to turn back, leaving Brian with a difficult decision. Should he continue to push for the summit or head back down the mountain? After he weighed all the options, Brian decided to continue to the summit alone, alone. There's only been one other person that's ever done that. And four hours later, Brian sold the summit, the highest peak in the world, but his celebration was very short-lived. After taking a few pictures, he radioed his team to let him know he had summited safely and he was getting ready to begin his descent, and he lost his vision, snow blindness. So we're going to talk about that and talk about so much more in this interview with Brian Dickinson. Welcome, Brian.
1: Main Street to Wall Street. Global business celebrity and former Fortune 100 C-suite executive Jeffrey Hazlett takes you inside the good, the bad, and the ugly of businesses today. Saddle up. It's time for All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett.
0: Hey, so first up, Brian, I got to say thanks very much for serving our country, being a part of the Navy. How'd you get into the Navy, by the way?
1: Oh, well...
2: My, I come from a long family of, of military. So I, I think there was some influence there. But just I think growing up in a small town in southern Oregon, I don't know, I just wasn't ready to go straight into college, even though I had opportunities. I wanted to go see the world and explore, do some adventures. So.
0: Yeah, Why na- Why navy over like, I don't know, cuz you climb up everything. Why not Air Force? That seems a lot higher. <laughs>
2: well, yeah, I think it was well, my brother, my dad, my grandpa, they're all in the Navy, so again, uh, that was the influence there, but also what I wanted to do and what I ended up doing was being a an air rescue swimmer. And I guess I could have went in the Air Force and been a PJ or something. And maybe if I did it again, I would do that, but uh it was it was a great job. It was really cool. What's a PJ? Uh, Para-rescue. So, it was my equivalent in the Air Force. So, jumping out of helicopters and doing a lot of, like I did combat search and rescue, but it was, you know, most of my my rescues and my duties were over water, whereas PJs, a lot of theirs is over land. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. So, it's kind of interesting to hear the background, your background, because every time I talk to somebody, that's in the military. A lot of times, they come from a family that's had a lot of service over the years as well. Mm-hmm. Um, my own family was that way, too, with almost our, everybody in our family in the Air Force, very few other other branches of service. So once uh, someone does it somewhere down the line, it, it just seems to be a part of it. The other thing is you, you I, I hear you talking about jumping out of airplanes, jumping into the water, jumping here. And then w- with what you do as an adventure sport, I, I guess that's the best term to use. Are you always been kind of out there on the edge?
2: Uh, I think so. I, I think we're all wired a little differently. And, you know, sometimes we may not realize it because it's us, you know, it's just, it's who we are, but growing up in Southern Oregon, you know, living up in the mountains, you know, I was always hiking and, you know, driving my, my mom crazy, you know, getting her, you know, driving, you know, riding my bike off the back of the truck and face planting in the gravel and, you know, just uh, always been, uh, you know, into sports, soccer and, mountain biking and just, uh, rafting. So yeah, I think it's just always been there. It's kind of ingrained in how I grew up and, you know, I grew up in the eighties, you know, my basic core of the childhood and we didn't have all the distractions that kids have today with technology. So I was, no matter what the weather is, you know, my parents were like, get outside and do something. So I did.
0: So you, you're in your forties now. Are you still that way?
2: (laughs) Yeah. I, I My body is, you know, it's in its 40s for sure, and it, things hurt a little more. Um, my mind, I, I still feel like I'm, you know, 18 years old. You know, okay. I get out yeah. and play soccer. I've been coaching my, my kids all the years, and I get out there, and I'm twisting knees and everything else, and it's frustrating. I I don't do well with downtime, um, so I I kind of have to calculate my adventures, you know, as I'm getting older and be kind of smart because I want my body to be able to keep up. But I have not slowed down by any means.
0: So, yeah, it, it's amazing because, you know, I have a, a, you know, I call it a ranch. It's not really a ranch. Most people would call it in South Dakota. We'd call it a ranch at probably. But, you know, I'm I'm hauling wood. I'm chainsawing. I'm doing things. And I I still feel like I'm, even though I'm 57 now, I still feel like I'm in my 30s. I've, I'm still lifting things like I used to back then and doing stuff maybe I shouldn't be doing. But I still am trying. I feel like I can still do it. You don't you don't feel diminished that way, do you? Being in your forties like that?
2: Uh no. And I think forty, like four zero, like the you know, thirty nine the day prior, I my body felt great and for some it's I don't know if it's psychological or what, but four zero, like when that day flips, it's like you wake up and your back hurts and it's like, What did I do? You're trying to think about it and like, oh, I just woke up.
0: Yeah. Probably, know, too, probably too many face over your lifetime. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I, I think there is a lot of wear and tear, and those things yeah. are catching up. Um, but I'm just still trying to be smart about it. And, you know, we, we have one, one chance at life. So, you know, I, I just I can't sit on the couch and watch TV and just let it fly by. I mean, I, I need to get outdoors and, you know, have these experiences and, you know, have those experiences with my family as well. I mean, that's, that's what life's about to me right. at least.
0: Yeah. And I totally, totally agree with you. I, I, it's interesting. I was looking at your Twitter feed and seeing you out hiking with your, your, your son, your daughter and your, your wife. Mm-hmm. Do, do, are they, are they similar? Are your children wired similar? Um,
2: and- yeah. So it's interesting. Cause my wife is like, we couldn't be more opposite. Mm-hmm. You know, she's a, a counselor and you know, I'm climbing the highest peaks on the seven continents and jumping out of helicopters, you know, she's scared of heights. And so for our kids, I mean, it's it's a good stretch. And I think it's probably a healthy balance because she and I have made it work. Therefore, you know, our parenting style is very consistent with them. They have done a lot more than most kids their age. You know, they're 11 and 14. My daughter Emily's been to six of the seven continents, you know, done a missions trip in Swaziland both climbed the highest peak in Australia when they were, you know, five and eight, you know, and been to orphanages. And like, whenever I've climbed around the world, I've tried to, you know, make an opportunity to bring them with me, like after the climb, have them meet me and, you know, do some adventures. Um, so, so yes and no, my son is, is more so in, you know, pushing the limit a little bit, like we're climbing Mount Whitney, uh, which is highest peak in the lower 48 States in two weeks So, you know, each year we try to do a couple different climbs. Um, During the winter, we always do a winter mountaineering trip, you know, just me and the kids. And it's like their favorite thing to do each year. And it's we're up on Mount Rainier, you know, in the snow, you know, in our tent and freezing and just having a great time. And my wife's always like, you got to pack all this other stuff. I'm like, yeah, I got it
0: yeah we yeah we're okay, honey. That's all right <laughs> it, 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 does she ever sometimes just go to you? What the heck were you thinking of when you were taking the kids out?
2: <laughs> yeah, she has her concerns, but she i I just step aside and like interview the kids like, if they don't want to go, uh, I'll probably still try to influence them to go, but it's just not the case because they're super excited. It's an adventure they get to plan for it. And then they come back on, you know, Monday, they go to school and they can ask their friends, what'd you do? And they're like, I don't know, played Xbox. Like, oh, that sounds interesting.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think I'd rather be outside myself. I tell you what, let me take a quick break and I'll come right back. I want to talk to you about the seven summits. So hey folks, have you ever thought about becoming your own boss? I like being my own boss. That's why I left corporate world. I can't stand corporate. So think about owning a franchise. Give the folks at Liberty Tax Service a call with more than 20 years in the business of taxes and franchising. You know, I love Liberty Tax and they can help give you the some flexibility that you need, put you on the road to owning your own business. So for more information, visit Liberty dot franchise.com or, or reach out to me and I'll be more than happy to connect you. It's a great thing to own uh, while why you're doing something else, you know? So, um, give it a, give it a shot. Give me Liberty or give me death. Remember that one? That was, Patrick Henry. I played him in the fourth grade. Uh, of my, Uh, fourth grade elementary. I was, I was Patrick Henry. That was, that was my, we had to do a puppet. Anyway, there's a side note. Anyway, give me a call. Let me know. So my next question then I've got to ask you, Brian is what's the seven summits. I, I, that was the first time I'd, when I was reading through your background, that was the first time I'd actually read about that.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah. I think it was coined back in the eighties when it was first done, but seven summits is the seven highest peaks or the, the highest peaks on the seven continents.
0: So so each one has their own so like Australia uh, you, you said you and your son did it when and your I think and daughter, daughter and daughter
1: and, daughter. Yeah. and, and, and wife
0: okay great but where yeah. where where is it in Australia I I've been to Australia a 100 times
2: uh, yeah. it's between Melbourne and Sydney
0: Yeah was it the Dandenongs or the Blue Mountains or um I don't
2: know no, which one that's, it is. That's a good question if it's in yeah. the Blue Mountains or not I mean it's called Kosciuszko. it's kind of stands on its own there mm. uh, but it, I mean it's it's nothing compared to the rest of the world which is why the yeah. family could do it at such a young age, but I just yeah. I wanted them to be a Love part it. of. Yeah, you're
0: you're doing it. I mean, how many people got to do it? Right? Exactly. You know, not everybody gets to go, to go do that. So, how many feet is it? I could imagine it's not more than about five, but it could be.
2: Yeah, I think it's around seven.
0: Oh, is it seven? Oh, that's pretty good. Well, it's kind of like the Black Hills of South Dakota, so it's not so not too tough, <laughs> but not too bad. And so, what are the other seven or other six?
2: Other uh, six. So. Everest, obviously the highest in the world, in Asia. Um, Aconcagua is South America. Denali in North America. Oh, Denali, yeah. Kilimanjaro in Africa. Uh, Mount Elbrus is the highest peak in Europe. Mm-hmm. And Mount uh, Vincent Massif, which is down in Antarctica.
0: Wow. You did Antarctica as well?
2: Mm hmm. So, yeah, same year I did Everest. And when I was in, and it's amazing. Like, if you ever have a chance to go to Antarctica, <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's not like every day right but yeah, if you do
2: well and that's what's cool about it is you know you go down to southern tip of chile and i had a week down there so i just kind of soloed around patagonia and del pain and and then flew over um but if you're in, in antarctica i mean you're there for a purpose like yep. people don't just show up and be like yep. hey here i am there's you know no permanent residence so it's it's like being on the moon. It's just so pristine and on the summit, it was negative seventy degrees. It's a little chilly, but yeah. it was just amazing just to it's, a lot of these experiences I've had, you just you really try to capture and process it in the moment. and it's it's almost like you're thinking so much about processing. <laughs> like you just it, it's a unique experience, you know, just being out there and being on top of mountains because you only have a short amount of time to capture moments that are going to last forever in your mind.
0: You know, it's kind of interesting because I got to imagine it's the, you know, the doing like the first thing you need to do, okay, you know, take a, take a photograph or something like that. But at the same time, I'm more of that kind of guy who likes to just sit there and just be at, be one with it. You know what I mean? Yep. I think that's an important thing for a lot of people to do more often.
2: Well, I think here at sea level, too, because we're in a selfie world and we're, we're wasting so much time trying to appear in a certain way or capture a moment when you're not actually just standing still and capturing that moment.
0: Yeah i'm more I'm more along that line capturing the moment than I am, although I hate to say that I used to work for Kodak where they invented the <laughs> moment you know so <laughs> I, totally about that so what made you you know you know I did a lot of on the intro, but um what made you wanted to to go climb everest was that your what, what was your first one that you really did? Was it everest or
2: no the first was so I live in the Pacific Northwest, you know just outside of Seattle and we're in the Cascade Range, so you know Mount Rainier and just you know tons of different peaks here. So no shortage of mountains. Um, but my first was Denali,
0: which used to be called McKinley, right?
2: Yeah. yeah. Okay, I did McKinley. Yeah. It's always been interchangeable, uh, Denali. My dog's middle name is actually McKinley, so we're we're holding strong.
0: <laughs> did you did you name your dog after the mountain? <laughs> middle
2: name. I got the middle name. Yeah. The kid got the first, and then inherited the last. So. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, okay, got it, got it.
2: So yeah, I went up to Denali and actually came within a 1,000 feet and just weather pushed us back. We were pinned down at high camp up at 17,000 for a week. And just it was a good day to live and came back down. So I've actually, technically, I've never, I have not summited all seven summits. So I've been on Denali three times, snowboarded at once, and I've still not stood on top.
0: And why is that? Is it just because it's that difficult to do it?
2: Yeah, it, it's really difficult, but it's you know it's so exposed up there, and the yeah. weather is so unpredictable that you know the the first trip I went up, there was a solo skier that was climbing up by himself solo, and he got blown off, and they still haven't found him. So wow. I mean, you gotta you gotta make those good decisions because you live and die by those decisions.
0: Yeah, yeah, this is not a sport that you can say, okay, let's just do it on the weekends. This is one of those things that you got to make a conscious effort. And if you don't do it right, you know, you could die. Or in your case, you know, you can go blind for a period of time or mm-hmm. blind forever. Or in some cases, there's been people who lose limbs, right?
2: Yeah, absolutely.
0: I just saw this. I saw one of your Twitter feeds about this Chinese climber that had, what, four decades ago, lost his lower limbs and then had just um, just climbed it again.
2: Yeah, that's amazing.
0: Yeah. That is it. Just is it just the thrill of wanting to do that that drives you? What what is it that what is it that makes you? Because I think you're freaking nuts, to be honest with you. I got you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, I, I I admire you, Brian. But I also mm-hmm. think, mm-hmm. I, you know, I totally <laughs> admire you. Because I mean, to do that, to do this shit, I mean, it's it's just it's tough. One, it's not an easy yeah. thing to do. I mean, even if you go to Africa, Kilimanjaro, you got to make it up there and back in the same day, or you can't go. Right?
2: Uh, no, it's a week long. But it's, it's still, it's over 19,000 feet. You got to, yeah. you know, people die up there for sure.
0: Yeah. I mean, but don't you have to, in the final stage, go up there and back on the same day or they don't let you do it or?
2: Yeah. I mean, that's that's any summit day. So yeah. a lot of times you may be in a position for a summit and you're sitting out waiting for the weather and a weather window may never come. So then, you know, high camp becomes your summit or you go up you don't make it all the way. You got to head back down. You got to be smart, have turnaround times. So yeah, if you're inexperienced and you just get summit fever and just keep going for it, then things aren't going to work out so well.
0: So to do it, what, what makes you do it? I mean, what makes you really say, man, I want to do this because again, like I think it's nuts. Mm -hmm. Is it because you, I mean, I have this saying, you know, I do things because I can, is that part of it?
2: Um, I mean, that's, that might be a part of it but i think again it goes back to just who we are you know what we've been exposed to there's there's danger involved so i mean there's there there's an element of fear that you know drives us into to odd things but i think for me it's it's more the challenge and honestly i think it's evolved over time
1: you mm-hmm. know
2: living where i live you know there's mountains are very accessible getting out there getting away from getting above sea level getting away from people it just adds so much clarity for me mhm but I, I think it's, it's goes down, it comes down to really goal setting and, you know, really accomplishing goals. I mean, in its simplest form, you know, there's, it's about being fit. The training piece is huge. A lot of times it's, you know, bigger and better than the climb itself. Um, and I think the military was like that as well. You train, you know, train like you fight, fight like you train type thing. And you're, you're training so hard that if you actually get in a rescue scenario, in my case, it, it's easy in comparison to all the scenarios and, you know, harshness that we trained in.
0: So set me up, you, you, cause the big part of your story or one of the big parts of your story, it's not your whole story and you're not totally defined by that by any means. Cause you can tell that through just the conversation that we're having, but a big part of it was you scaled Everest. You got up there, in Everest partway up. I believe your guide got sick. He had to go back. You decided to, 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 to go up, to go up uh, on your own, and while you're up there, you get snow blindness, right? Mm-hmm. And what's snow blindness? I I know I know I've known people who have come close to it, but never have experienced it. What's what is snow blindness?
2: Um, it's the sun burning of the cornea, mm-hmm. so it's temporary blindness. Um, instead of like blind, where everything is dark black. Um, with snow blindness, everything is white, just bright white. Like if you had a light bulb within an inch of your face, Mm-hmm. typically takes about 24 hours to re- your vision to return. And mine was so severe just being up there on Everest, it took a month and a half for me to completely get my eyesight back. Wow.
0: So didn't don't goggles usually prevent that? Did you not wear them or, or does it not fully protect you?
2: Uh, yeah, theoretically. So I have, I have blue eyes, so I'm more susceptible on Everest. There's only a third of the air and ozone protection, Uh you know, up at 29,000 feet, actually 26 and above in the death zone. So you're you're more exposed. Uh, my goggles had cracked and I had ripped out an internal lens, which cut their effectiveness in half. And then there's just a lot of time you're on and off goggles up there because you have, supplemental oxygen taking the mask off goggles off to get like a drink or food while you're climbing so all of that you know kind of adds up and then once snow blindness hits it's like a snap of the fingers it's yeah. not like you gradually see it coming it's yeah. boom
0: done and then it sets with you so so you got did you did you summit that did you hit the summit
1: mm-hmm. okay.
2: yeah so what happened you know backing up to what you're explaining earlier so i went in 2011 and so seven years ago, I went independent. So I wasn't a part of a, a guided group. I had some Sherpa support. Sherpa are the local people there in uh, Nepal and Tibet. Uh, amazing people in uh, Pasang, who's a good friend of mine. We were heading up. He's had a couple summits, strong, young guy, just the two of us. And at about 28,000 feet, you know, he was sick feeling sick. And he decided he was going to go back and wait at an area called the balcony. And I was going to continue up. So we made that decision. You know, I was feeling strong. He was strong enough to get back to where, you know, he was safe and I continued up and soloed the summit. So according to the Himalayan database, I'm one of two people to actually have the summit of Everest to myself, which I wasn't trying to do. It just kind of happened. Uh, Took my selfies back to our selfie nation and all my picks and yeah, within a few, few feet of heading back down, you know, everything went completely white.
0: Was there anybody, I mean, so you did it summit, you got up there by yourself. I mean, you would think there'd be other parties along the way. Cause it isn't there, there's no other parties along.
2: Yeah. So that's, what's so unique. Um, and just, a kind of a blessing because you, you see the, the, the lines of people cause there's only a few days you can summit Everest because of the weather patterns mm-hmm. And people were down at 26, like the high camps on both the north and um, south side. They were getting in a position to try to summit the next day. And people had summited the day prior. But Pasang and I were getting this window, like this perfect window, where we just happened to be up higher in position to summit on a day where no one else was attempting the summit. It's it's very, wow. very incredible.
0: Yeah. How many people summit a year now?
2: Uh, it's, it changes. I mean, it can be a, you know, it could be up to 400.
0: Yeah. But that's still, that's still not a lot. I mean, you think of it as that's to me, it's still not a lot when you think about the whole population of the world. I mean, obviously, but right. yeah, I mean, that's...
2: a lot of those are repeats or guides and Sherpa who have summited prior. Mm-hmm.
0: So. How do you find a Sherpa guide?
2: <laughs> well, you can go guided and yep. then they'll outfit it being here in Seattle. Like I knew, people that have guiding companies and then I just kind of, you know, bypassed um, a lot of the logistics to get the appropriate people and they're top notch. I mean, some of these guiding groups, I mean, the main ones come out of Seattle.
0: Yeah. So, um, well, I want to get back. I, I, I always go on the business side because I want to know how much it costs too. I'm kind of curious about that too, but, but let me come back. Cause I look, you're at the top, you're, you're, mm-hmm. you're, you're turning around, you're heading down. How, how far down were you? And then what? What's the time frame, by the way? The time. What did? How long did it take you from the time you left your your buddy to the time you got to the top?
2: Uh, it's a few hours. Okay. Yeah. So up in the the Death Zone, like I said, there's a third of the air up there. It is yeah. everything is slow motion. It's like five seconds between every step, and it's some harsh climbing up there on Hillary Step, and you know these different. This this one traverse is it's called the Cornice Traverse. It's about Two feet wide, and it is a two-mile drop on each side of you. Oh gosh! So you're, way, you're way up there.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, so I'm up there. You know, I spent less than an hour on top, taking pictures and just you know trying again, trying to process the moment. But yeah, a few steps into it, heading down, everything just went completely white. And what should have taken me three hours, maybe, to get down to high camp, took me seven. The uh-huh. so ran out of oxygen you know and just hand over hand just made my way down just
0: is there yeah you know, when you say hand over hand is there a rope or a guide wire or anything like that now
2: yeah so okay. that's that's the good thing about certain climbs like yeah. in the Himalayas um sherpa and guided groups and myself will fix lines so have anchor points and actually fix rope so i mean that's a that's a main reason that i continued up when pasang went down yeah you know otherwise uh, you, uh, yeah it,
0: one wrong turn you're like screwed right?
2: Yeah. yeah, You're falling for a few miles.
0: So, so, so you're coming down. How far were you, how far had you come down? Like 10 minutes, 20 minutes. And then you're going, oh shit, I'm in trouble here.
2: Yeah. It was more like 10 seconds. Really? Within feet. Yep. Just hit me. And I look at selfie pictures now and I can tell like one of my eyes was already completely done. I was probably just working through one eye. And then when that went, it was pretty much game
0: over. And then, so that hits you. What's your first thought? Like, oh shit.
2: <laughs> sort of. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I dropped down and grabbed the rope that I was attached to and just assess the situation. You mm-hmm. know, I'm at the top of the world, completely alone. I'm blind. Yeah. No one's coming to get me. Yeah. And one thing the military taught me in my training is you panic, you die.
1: Mm-hmm. So
2: I, Pushed all that aside, and I just I stood up and I just started moving, just slowly, slowly moving. Like every step was just taken. it seemed like minutes. Now
0: you you say you pushed all that aside. That that's not an easy thing to do, Brian. So when you, how, I mean, did you have to take a deep breath? Did you feel sorry for yourself at all? Or
2: <laughs> no, I mean, your if your mind gets so I've you know went through Sierra School and a lot of survival school mm-hmm. too. So I, yeah. I think I had a leg up there, but um, no, I mean, there's there's time to deal with all those emotions later,
1: mm-hmm. but
2: all that's going to do is just destroy your morale, and it's eventually going to kill you. So, I mean, I did everything I could. The other thing is, I just, I felt this presence around me the entire time mm-hmm. going down, just this calming presence. I didn't really overthink it, but it was just, it was always there around me.
0: Well, you talk about some of that stuff now and the work that you're doing about God and the presence of a supreme being, obviously, that some people would call supreme being, obviously. But was were you a religious guy beforehand?
2: Um, yeah, I've been a Christian for years. My wife's a Christian counselor. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd never experienced such a tangible ex, you know, experience like this, or maybe I never gave credit with such a tangible.
0: You mean that that feeling, that presence, you mean?
2: That presence, yeah. and then when I actually ran out of oxygen you know, hours later, Mm -hmm. um, side of a mountain completely out. And, you know, I'd been climbing for over 33 hours at that point, you know, in this treacherous environment, completely, you know, worst case scenario. And I just surrendered right there and just prayed to God and, you know, just felt an overwhelming presence lift me to my feet and a Mm -hmm. oxygen bottle that previously failed started working. So didn't overthink it, you know, took five deep breaths of air put my gear all back on and just started, you know, rappelling down as fast as I could without tripping over myself and eventually made it to high camp.
0: Well, there's some there's so many more questions I want to ask you about this, about this, about when you ran into your your guide again, because I understand he came back to get you right or come back to meet you.
2: Yeah, he met me about a quarter mile back um, from high camp. Yeah. So it was pretty much the last little section there. But I never saw him coming. You know, I'm just stumbling into camp and he just hugs me. He's like, Brian, you alive?
0: Oh, wow. I mean, did, did you hear him coming? You were like... No. Yeah.
2: Yeah. But it, it was 50 mile an hour wind gusts exactly. kicking up. So yeah. you can't, that's what I was listening to. Yeah, that's
0: what you can't You can't hear. You can't hear. <laughs> so, so, Brian, we got about another minute or a couple minutes here. But what was the biggest... What was your biggest takeaway from this experience?
2: Uh, biggest takeaway, and you know, I'm super blessed to go around and, and talk to you know businesses and groups, is, is that we we really never know what we're capable of doing until we're put in a situation. And most people will avoid those situations, which is good and bad, but we're not really growing. We're not really you know understanding what we're truly about. And for me, it really came down to faith and focus. Just never ever gave up focus, which is ironic because I couldn't see anything, mm-hmm. but it's just one step in front of the other, do anything it took to survive and faith. I just, I never gave up my faith.
0: Do you think, do you think that is there, there's nothing you can't do now as a result of this, or did you feel that way beforehand?
2: <laughs> no, I'm, I'm definitely human. And if anything, this has humbled me more than I ever was prior, mm-hmm. you know, when you're young and you know it all and, you know, can go through life. Um, but certainly and then having a family and everything else, it's just it's really it's made me more of an introvert than anything, which is pretty funny.
0: Yeah. Does it force you to to think through things better?
2: I- um, yeah, I think my my logical thinking has definitely adjusted and but things that might upset me, you know, in the past driving or someone cuts me off or something like i i have a baseline where i can go back to and be like yeah this really doesn't matter
0: mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> yeah you, you, those are pretty trivial points of a life compared to the stuff you had to face right Hmm. Uh, yeah what what was the first what when you got back to base camp which is is there even phones at base camp
2: um so we had a sat phone so it took me another day to get so i went made it to high camp i passed out for like 15 hours my eyes were glued shut i still had to get down the fourth highest mountain in the world which is Mm lotse got to camp two where i borrowed a sat phone satellite phone and had them dial my wife and i just told her i'm like hey i was all crying and just letting her know hey i soloed and i'm blind and then i got cut off so, oh, so I own the worst phone call in history. Oh,
0: God. So,
2: The next day I got to a- actual base camp where I got to talk to her on a, a cell phone for about an hour.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow. That's crazy. When she's, I bet she was just freaking out.
2: Yeah, it was, it's a lot to take in for yeah. her to kind of understand the whole scenario and yeah, everything. Yeah, yeah
0: even even her being a Christian counselor, I don't think she was very, very open to having that kind of conversation, I would imagine, with you. Yeah. Yeah, it <laughs> makes it tough. so I get it. One last question I'll ask and way off topic, because this is uh, this is going in depth and I would really like to spend some more time with you. But uh, is uh, how much does this cost to go?
2: Uh, Everest? Well, it depends if you go guided. I mean, it can be, you know, 60, 70 grand. For, for myself, because I was independent, I have all my gear, you know, I just, I had it all pretty much dialed in, you know, it's it probably in the upper thirties. Wow. And, you know, of course I had sponsors and everything else. Got sure. you know, to go out and beg for money.
0: Yep. Which is part of it. You know, everything costs money, no matter, even the free things in life cost money, like climbing a mountain. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. Well, listen, hey, Brian, I would love to have you back sometime because this has been a very good conversation. And we only got to get into a great deal of it. But uh, what a talented guy and what a great experience. And so glad to see you back and doing well and, um, and and preaching the gospel, so to speak, as we'd like to say. I think that's a pretty cool thing. So thanks for joining me right here on All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. Hey, at the end of the show, I'd like to talk about what I learned. I got a couple great, great lessons here. I really enjoyed that conversation. I enjoy conversations with everybody for the most part, but that one was particularly motivational and insightful. And so we're going to come back to that in just a second, because I want to talk about InStitu, because these guys are all about style, and I'm looking great, and I owe it all to the folks at InStitu, I-N-S-T-I-T-C-H-U.com, Institu. They got the clothes for the modern gentleman. That's right. Perfect fit guarantee, custom-made clothing, custom-tailored suits starting at $499 and shirts at $89. I know a lot of guys who are going in there and getting their entire wedding party suits, and everybody has a suit, and they get a suit when they're all done. That's pretty cool. Or they'll make a tuxedo for you, too. That was the other thing I had made. So use the code C Suite. That's C-S-U-I-T-E-N-Y. C-Suite NY, you'll receive two free shirts when you spend $499 with Institu, so check them out. They got some good stuff, let me tell you. So um, what did I learn? I tell you, I learned two things. One, faith and focus. I thought that was pretty cool. You got to have faith, you got to have focus without those two things in your business or in your life, whether it's a spiritual thing, but um, certainly um, just in your business, you got to have faith and you have focus. And last but not least, what a great line panic and you die panic and you die that's a good word to live by that's what i've figured out so in the con, by the way in business every day you're going to have times which you're going to panic someone uh canceled at you last minute uh big client leaves you um one of your key employees is gone uh, whatever it might be. Um, you just got, you tweeted something you shouldn't have tweeted or someone did it by mistake and you didn't want it out there. And oh my gosh, now everybody's writing in and and you're about to become on, um, you know, on CNN or, or or on some nasty website somewhere because it it was inappropriate. So panic, you die. So you got to stay calm. That's what I learned here. So speaking of staying calm, how about do me a favor, get, be, be calm. Uh, Get some Zen. Recommend me to a friend. Recommend our show to another person who's listened to podcasts. We'd appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening right here on All Business with Jeffrey Hazlitt on C-Suite Radio.
1: This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.